You know, sometimes you just got to let it out. I just want to say, whoo-wee! God is great. God is awesome. And, you know, this, this morning we received word of a, of a thing that God has been doing in Kenya. And I want to say, we hit water in Kenya. <laughs> you know, it's a beautiful thing. When you pray about something and you, you give and you, you wait on God and, and you see what happens. And I know that uh, Rogers was, they were probably walking on like, you know, air. Uh, but uh, I know that they were overjoyed with the fact that uh, they, they were drilling this past week. They, had, uh, they, they hit some rock and uh, they were having some problems and they actually had to, to pull the drilling rig and redo some things and, and go again. But uh, they, they hit water about 90 feet, um, and what a, what a blessing it is to know that they're going to have the water of life uh, that really is a, a blessing, and that many people from all over will be blessed by that. And, you know, it, it's an amazing thing for me to watch how we, as a, a, a body, uh, partnered. We, we received offerings, and we gave, and we prayed, and now people are going to have clear fresh drinking water in Kenya because of this church. You know, you can't write this stuff. You know, God is amazing. And, and I love that. And I, I, I love y'all. And I want to encourage you this morning. We're going to be in 1 John um, chapter 1. You know, we're, uh, Warren Wiersbe, he writes this. He says, a counterfeit Christian, and they are common, is something like a counterfeit $10 bill. I mean, suppose you have a counterfeit bill and actually think that it's genuine. And so you use it to pay for some gas. And the, the gas station manager then uses it to buy some supplies and the supplier uses it then to buy and to pay the grocer. And the grocer bundles that bill up with 49 other ones and takes it to the bank. And the bank teller says, I'm sorry, but this bill is counterfeit. See, that $10 bill may have done a lot of good while it was in circulation. But when it arrived at the bank, it was exposed for what it really is. A fake. A counterfeit. And so it was pulled from circulation. See, we can live our entire lives and have everyone believing that we are a child of God. Because we put on appearances. We do what we're supposed to do. We can try to live decent and good lives and maybe even help some people. But when the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, when He alone is the one that determines our eternal destiny, when He looks at our lives, it doesn't matter one iota what anyone else thinks. What matters is what he thinks. 
And he will know whether we are real or whether we are counterfeit, whether we are followers of Jesus Christ or just pretenders. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 7. He said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name did we not drive out demons and perform many miracles? And he says, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And I say that because I want us... I want my brothers and sisters in Christ to be the real deal. I don't want there to be any pretenders in our midst. I want everyone to be in heaven forever. I want all of you there with me. You know, it's, it's funny because I was... I was uh, reading through some things, and I, I read this story about these two kids that were that were over in in Walmart, and they're following their parents, and they're walking through the the the, the um, home homewares section, and and one of them spied out a um, a bathroom weight, and he says, "Hey, do you know what that is?" And he says, um, "I think it's a bathroom weight." He says, "Have you ever seen one before?" And he said, "Yeah." He said, "My folks have one." He said, well, what does it do? He said, well, I'm not sure. He says, but I think that when you stand on it, it's supposed to make you mad. <laughs> you know, sometimes God's word is like that. Because we fall short. You know, I say that today, talk, tell a joke about a bathroom scale as we're getting ready to have a dessert auction. But you know, we're going to be standing today on the scale of God's Word from the book of John. And instead of getting mad, I believe that we'll end up very glad. You see, in, in Matthew 4, verse 19, and also in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we have Jesus' first and His last words of instruction for His disciples. And Jesus said to his disciples, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And then in Acts 1.8, he, he said, for you will be my witnesses. And both of these, from the beginning to the end, have to do with witnessing. With telling others what Jesus has done for you. And you see, I would say to you today... There's no question that as believers in Jesus Christ that we are called to a life of witnessing. That we are called to tell others what Jesus Christ has done for us. And see, I would also say that if we're talking about renewal, if we're talking about spiritual renewal, then we need to ask God to renew our witness. So that we would have the boldness to share, to proclaim the love of Jesus Christ to those around us. It gets easier and easier every day to not share when you don't share every day. Kind of like going to church. 
You get out of the habit and pretty, pretty soon you're not going at all. But it's that way with witnessing. If we don't see the opportunities, we won't do it. See, Jesus used some figures of speech to describe the nature of his mission. I mean, he called his followers. He said, we are the salt of the earth. He said, we're the light of the world. He said, he gave them the the keys to the kingdom of heaven. He looked on himself and his work and he said, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. His kingdom was like leaven that, that, that causes dough to rise. And he came to cast fire on the earth. I mean, what, what idea do all of these figures of speech have in common? What do they all point to? I would say that each one of these represents some kind of penetration. Think about this. Salt goes into meat to preserve it. Light pierces the darkness to dispel it. A key goes into a lock to provide an opening. Bread enters the body to provide nourishment and life. And water soaks into the earth for moisture. Leavening, it infiltrates dough and causes it to rise. And fire has consuming power and it continues only as it's given new fuel. See, we are to be Christ's penetrating power in the world. We are to be the power that introduces Christ to others. We are to be the ones that carries that because the church exists for this purpose. There's no other reason for us to exist than to share the gospel and make disciples. See, if we're going to pray that prayer, Father, renew my witness. That's a prayer that God will surely answer because he desires that. We want to pray according to God's will. That is God's will, that we be his witnesses. See, if we're going to renew our witness, we need to do a couple of things. And the first thing we we need to do is we must refine our definition of witnessing. Because many times witnessing is not just ringing doorbells out in our community or handing out some kind of literature. Neither is it just asking if someone is born again or quoting the the soul-winning passages that, that we've memorized. See, we can be very mechanical about witnessing. But I think there's a whole lot more to witnessing than just doing those things. Witnessing is what 1 John, what John talks about in 1 John. Let's look at 1 John 1, and I want to read down through verse 4. This is what God's Word says. It says, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, What we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the word was manifested. 
And we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. See, witnessing. Witnessing is telling something that comes from our own experience. Witnessing is telling what we know. What you know. Witnessing is sharing what Christ has done in our lives. And it's pointing to the one who has performed the miracle of new life in us. We're not there to to sell ourselves. We're witnessing to who Jesus is and what he's done for us. I love that because witnessing, witnessing is knowing Jesus Christ personally and telling others about him in his power. But notice it has two basic elements. That witnessing, when we witness, there's two things that we need, to, we need to see. The first one is a new way of life. Brothers and sisters, I'm not the man I used to be. I know the difference that Jesus Christ has made in my life. If I didn't believe it with all my heart, I wouldn't be standing up here in front of you today. But the reason that I am is because he has transformed my life. He has made me into a new creation. Those old things have passed away and all things become new. It's a new way of life. And we demonstrate that, that there has been a change within us, that we have a new way of life. And the primary thing is that we are a new person in Jesus Christ. You know, when I was in seminary, I remember running across uh, Irenaeus' work all all the uh, against all heresies, and it was probably written written about a 180 A.D. And um, reading through that passage, and there's a passage in there where Irenaeus was recounting the story of sitting in a classroom, and he's being taught by someone that is referred to as the elder, no name, just the elder, and he's in a classroom in the city of Smyrna, in Asia Minor, and he's being taught. And this elder, this elder was teaching him Christian theology. And the elder paused and said that in that very room, John had taught him Christian theology. You're talking about a man who knew Jesus, who heard Jesus teach, who saw Jesus, who touched Jesus, who knew who Jesus is, and he knew what Jesus taught. That's what John is saying here in this passage. We have heard, we have seen, we have touched him with our eyes, we, we, we listened to him, we knew him. And so he's speaking to us so that we might have the confidence to know that what he is saying is true. That yes, I walked with Jesus, he appeared and he came from the Father and he had fellowship with us and we had fellowship with him and it's the real deal. He's not saying, I heard this from someone else, from someone else. 
He's saying these things from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched at, touched with our hands. He's saying, I was there. I mean, did John have a message that would hold up in a pluralistic, relativistic, spiritual but anti-Christian society? Yeah. Yeah, he wrote this letter. And when he wrote this letter, Christians were in the minority and they were outcasts. He's saying, we, we've touched him, we know this to be true, and I'm writing so that you will know. But you know what? In a little more than 300 years, Jesus had conquered the Roman Empire. I love that. Because the gospel can do it again, my friends. The gospel can conquer this society that we live in. Because it is the power of God unto salvation. It's God's plan. It's not Ridge's plan. It's not a memorial plan. It's God's plan. And he's the one who's going to bring it to fruit. We need a new way of life, but we also need a new word of mouth. I mean, witnessing must go beyond one's life to a verbal explanation, a verbal proclamation of the gospel. I mean, we need to, we need to put that out there. You see, God's word tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Folks, the word must become flesh. We need to embody the word of God. We need to be the ones proclaiming the word of God. See, we are to verbalize our witness supported by the word of God. And so many times we just want to keep quiet. We don't say what the Holy Spirit is leading us to say. I mean, how did these early believers who had no worldly power make this kind of impact on the Roman Empire? I'll tell you how. Because John taught them to speak truth to power. He taught them to, to speak truth to power. Folks, we need to do that. He taught them to live truth to power. We need to do that. He taught them to love one another. And through the witness, and through their words, and through their lives, and their mutual love, the gospel won that world. See, the historian Jerome, he tells a story that when John got to the most elderly point of his life, when he no longer had strength, he was the most feeble physically condition that he could have possibly been in, that they carried him into the congregation on a pallet. And he was only able to say one message to the Christians. And he said, little children, love one another. Love one another. And apparently he did this up until his very last breath. You see, we need a new word from our mouth to love one another. See, we have to recover. If we're going to witness, we have to recover the New Testament way. 
I mean, someone suggested that there's been a shift in methods from the first century to the 21st century. And I would agree, there has been many shifts. I mean, I'm grateful that we have indoor plumbing. I'm grateful that we have automobiles. I'm grateful that we have the telephone. Sometimes not so much the cell phone, but the telephone. Telling you which generation I grew up in, huh? But the idea is, is, is we must recover that New Testament way. Because you see, there's been a shift. It used to be about personal, but then it became impersonal evangelism. And what I'm talking about is, is mass evangelism. Because here's the deal, is we think someone else is going to tell everybody about Jesus. When it's each one of our jobs. I mean, most of our evangelism today is the mass type that's to, uh, that to a large extent is impersonal. I mean, they, they, they preach the gospel and they give an invitation and they want the masses to respond. And we certainly don't want to get rid of mass evangelism. But folks, we got to add that personal evangelism element to it. We've got to be the ones speaking the word. We must recapture personal evangelism. I mean, I would venture to say, myself included, that if I asked each one of us, how many of us shared the gospel with someone this week, we would be embarrassed. Because we would probably have to say, I didn't do it. And folks, that's our job. That's why we exist. I don't care if you have the gift of evangelism or not. You're supposed to give a witness. Every one of us is. It's not my job to lead everybody to the Lord. It's not Joel's job to lead everybody to the Lord. It's all of our jobs to be a witness for Christ. Thank you. Yes. Every single one of us. There's a shift from personal to impersonal evangelism. And we need to recapture that. Go back to that personal evangelism. Ask yourself, have I shared the gospel with someone today? You need to share with somebody. Get out there. Seek the lost. Share the gospel. There's also been a shift from people-centered to church-centered evangelism. I mean, the church has been charged by its own leaders of changing the Great Commission from the go and tell to the come and hear. We want it convenient for us. But really, the, the Great Commission, Jesus said, as you go, as you are going, make disciples. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel. All of the world. Look for the lost sheep. Problem is the church isn't searching. We're expecting them to come to us. And brothers and sisters, they're not going to do it. They're not coming. We've got to go find. We've got to go tell. We've got to go and make disciples. See, when we fail to do this, we miss the masses of people because the masses of people don't come to church. Someone truthfully observed this. They said the problem is 
Not that churches are filled with empty pews, but that the pews are filled with empty people. Folks, that's each one of us. We've not been empowered by the Holy Spirit. We haven't been seeking the Holy Spirit. We haven't been seeking God's Word. We have not been looking for opportunities to share the gospel with others. You know why? Because we believe that what we are doing is more important than what God's will is. I can't make it any plainer. We think that our daily activities is more important than what God would have us do. What we know he would bless. What we know he he desires and has called us out of the darkness so that we would be children of light, so that we could carry his message and we could be these earthen vessels with this treasure inside. Sharing that with others. See, what John says here is he says, look, I knew Jesus. I knew Jesus. I touched him. I saw him. I heard him. I knew who he was. I know who he is. I know what he taught. And I'm reinforcing that with you today. And I want you to be confident in what he said in the message of Jesus and his person and his work. Because I saw him. I touched him. I handled him. I laid my head on his chest. I was called by him the beloved disciple. I was the one that that he called his beloved. And you can be confident in that. And folks, what I want to say is that is a living witness. That is someone who is living out that witness for Christ. Folks, that's what we need to be doing. My prayer is, Lord, renew my witness. I'm not batting a thousand either. And you better believe that I'm doing a double take on this message before I'm preaching it. Because it's kind of like the pot calling the kettle black. It's not happening. Pray for me as I pray for you. So that the Lord would renew our witness. I mean, John is beginning to give us the the message and to explain it in its fullness of its context. And it's that message, weak as it might seem, in the eyes of the world. You know, to believe in Christ, to have Him as your Lord and Savior, to believe His Word, to live in accordance to that Word, and to love others self-denyingly. I mean, the world calls that foolishness. But folks, we know that it is the power of God. It is the power of God unto salvation. See, Christianity is weighty. Christianity is weighty. And when we put it on the scale, there's some truths here that we can know and apply. And the first one is this, is that Christianity is a fact. It's not fiction. See, our faith is not built on a fairy tale. It's built and rooted in the facts of history. That Jesus Christ is a historical figure, and that invites investigation. 
See, I love that because we see that in John 1. Towards the end of verse 1, he says, concerning the word of life, concerning the logos, concerning Jesus. He says, and the life was manifested, it appeared. And we have seen and we testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. Why do you share with other people? Why do you share the gospel with them? Why do you tell them what Jesus Christ means and has done for you? So that they will have fellowship with us for all eternity. Christianity is a fact. Secondly, I want to say this. Christianity is proclaimed. It's not private. I mean, once we encounter Christ, we cannot help but proclaim. I mean, that's what he says there. That we proclaim, we testify, and the word manifested appears twice, and it means to be put on display for all to see. Jesus Christ didn't happen in a dark corner of the world. He was put on display for all to see. You've heard about his life, his death, his crucifixion. You've heard about all of that. The whole world is seeing that. He's put, he was manifested. He was put on display for all to see. And since Jesus has appeared, we can't help but announce the news to others. And he uses the word proclaim there. To proclaim. To put it out there. To, um, you know, that word means to report or to announce like a messenger. To put it out there. But he also uses the word testify. And that word we get from our court system. And it means to bear witness of what someone has seen and heard. I love how eagerly the the early church, they engaged in evangelism. You know, Peter and John in in Acts 4.20, they said, they testified, they said, we cannot speak of the things except that we have seen and heard. Only those things that we have seen and heard can we talk about. We're going we're gonna to talk about what God has done in my life. We're going to talk about how Jesus saved me. We're going to talk about what he has trans- transformed my life and made me into the man that I am today. Well, I'm not without sin. But I am transformed. And I'm thankful for that. Thirdly, Christianity is shared. It's not selfish. See, the purpose of proclamation is that we might share in fellowship with with others and with God. That's what he says in verse 3. So that we indeed, uh, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You know that word, so that. It really defines John's purpose in writing this. So that. You may have fellowship with us, and we can all have fellowship with the Father. You know that word fellowship? I mean, we often define fellowship as food, right? I mean, the place where we eat, we call it the fellowship hall. Usually when we talk about we're going to have a fellowship, it's some kind of casserole. We're going to gather around the good stuff. 
But really, fellowship is more than just food. We say that here in America because we have an abundance of food. Well, if you, if you bring food, people will show up. Right? If you have food, they'll show up. What if we didn't have food? What if it was about the, the communion, the fellowship that we enjoy together? More than what, the, you know, what we're going to buy at a dessert auction. It's all well and good. I'm just saying fellowship is more than food. Fellowship has to do with having things in common. Communion. One definition states the, the setting aside of private interest and desires in order to join with another or others for common purposes. I think that's big. Putting aside our own desires and our own self, our own interests in order to be with others and spend time with others for a common purpose. Christianity is shared. It's not selfish, but it's also rejoicing and not repressive. I love that because some of us don't exhibit much, much joy. You know, we walk around and the world is heavy on our shoulders. <laughs> but with Jesus, our lives should be filled with joy. Man, I'm not going to get what I deserve. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Because I don't deserve anything, but I'm getting everything. And I'm thankful for that. You know, the things that go on in our lives, yeah, they weigh us down and we feel, we feel burdened. But recognize, John says in this, he says in verse 4, These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. Filled, completely full, our joy. <laughs> Someone has said that if fellowship is the answer to spiritual loneliness, then joy is the answer to spiritual emptiness. So that our joy may be full. See, John's not interested in us merely learning his story, though. He wants us to meet Jesus, the one who changed his life, and the one who has changed many, many others. See, he shares what he saw and heard and touched so that you and I might know Jesus and have a relationship with him ourselves so that we would have our own story to tell. And folks, that is what the world is waiting to hear, is how Jesus Christ has impacted your life. Folks, we need to be good at telling that story. We need to be the ones out there on the cutting edge sharing, telling them how, how, what Jesus has done for me, because, you know, we're not going to get what we deserve, and that's a beautiful thing. Every single one of us, he did it for us. Would you pray with me? Loving Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. And Father, our prayer is that you would renew our witness. Father, the world around us is constantly groping in darkness. Father, it's painful to watch.
People who can't find the door. People who keep stumbling over things and and, and themselves. People who keep making a mess of their lives because they don't know the Savior. And Father, we as the church sleep. Father, we get more excited about what we can buy and what we can do than what we can tell. Father, I pray that you would renew our hearts, that you would transform us, this body, from people who are consumed with things and stuff to a people who are consumed with telling about what Jesus Christ has already done for each one of us. Father, I pray that you would renew my witness. Father, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. That even in this place right now, Father, that you would fill each of us. That we would be empowered to share the gospel with those who have never heard. Father, with those who are, who are groping in darkness, those who are trying to find their way and cannot seem to find it. Father, that we would go to them and lead them out. Father, it means that we might have to walk into the darkness. Father, it means that we might have to go into the fire. Father, it means that we're, we're, wherever we go, you are going with us. And you are leading us. But Father, I pray that you would help us to find the lost. Those who don't know you. And Father, that we would give a faithful witness. Backed up with our own life. And our own lifestyles. That proclaim your gospel. Lord Jesus, even as the Holy Spirit. Magnifies and glorifies you. I pray that each one of us in our lives and our, our proclamation would glorify you, Lord Jesus. Father, I pray that today would be unlike any other day. But Father, that we would give glory to you through our witness for Jesus Christ. And Lord, I ask this in his precious and mighty name. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.